Hey everybody, Steve here, Local Level Podcast. I'm sitting here today with Alan Toksh. He's an immigration attorney out of Evanston, Illinois. Um, and it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And we had a, a really interesting conversation uh, about a week or so ago when we first spoke. Um, I mean, there, this is such a lightning rod subject, like uh, like we were talking about. People, when they hear about immigration, they just think, you know, legal, illegal, you know, what what's, what's good, what's bad, you know. And uh, there's a lot of misconception. Um, but uh, one of the things that you brought up when we when we spoke, uh, before is that you have a really, really interesting um, perspective on the whole immigration topic, just because you have a background um, that, uh, you know, you, you come from, you come from a, a, a you know, a, a part of the world where, um, you know, uh, a lot of people got, uh, would you, would you call yourself a refugee? How, how would you, uh, how would you kick off that, uh, that story. Tell us, tell us your, uh, your origin story. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, um, it's, it's an, it's a story. Yeah. Um, it's one that I don't think of as being extraordinary, but nonetheless, when I do tell my story to people, they sometimes cannot believe some of the ups and downs that my family and I have had to endure in order to make our way to the United States. But uh, briefly, I suppose, um, I was born in Iran, uh, in Tehran, the capital city. And as a matter of fact, I was born on February 11, 1979. Um, it's an important date because it was the day of the Islamic Revolution in Iran. So the day I was born, yeah. uh, Ayatollah Khomeini uh, took power. Um, and uh, ever since then, uh, Iran has never been the same. Uh, the Shah of Iran, uh, the King of Iran, prior to Ayatollah Khomeini, before the Islamic Revolution, uh, was not a perfect country. Iran was not perfect. Nonetheless, um, it was a country that uh, showed more deference and more kind treatment towards minorities, such as my family. We are a Christian uh, minority uh, family from Iran. I am Assyrian-Armenian. And uh, despite being Christian, uh, my family and I had to abide by the Islamic rules and regulations as we progressed um, uh, throughout our lives in Iran. Uh, it just so happened that um, shortly after the revolution, Iran and Iraq uh, entered um, a seven-and-a-half-year, eight-year uh, war. And so I bore witness to... Uh, bombardments, um, to um, seeking refuge in bunkers, having uh, the glass in our home shattered, um, bearing witness to public executions, hangings, uh, public floggings. Um, and as a 10-year-old, bearing witness to all this stuff, I affirmatively grew up much, much faster than I wanted to. But it was just I was a product of the environment in which I was growing up. Yeah. And so uh, by the grace of God, uh, luckily, um, uh, we ended up being able to uh, flee Iran. Uh, and that's a whole nother story. I mean, we won't get into <laughs> that. But uh, we made our way to Germany, uh, mm -hmm. where my father actually had to have heart surgery. Uh, my father was a civil engineer by trade. 
and um, they just gave me, uh, they stamped my mother's passport uh, inadvertently, and my name happens to be in my mother's uh, passport. And so when we went to the airport, the uh, agent said, wait a second, uh, what's, how did you get the visa for the kid? Because hmm. he is not allowed to leave. The presumption being that I'm going to grow up and serve in the military in the war against Saddam Hussein. So anyway, we, we ended up being able to flee and uh, hence began my life uh, as a 10-year-old refugee in Germany. Yeah. There, um, we bore witness, my family and I bore witness to the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, and the anti-foreign sentiment was so very much rampant at that time. Um, I remember distinctly um, people in the streets being interviewed and one particular person said, not only should they build a wall, but they should build it higher. Mm. And so there was just a lot of anti-foreign, anti-East, anti-West sentiments all across Germany. Uh, and um, it, just a lot of events made me grow up even faster. Yeah. Case in point, there was a uh, home just down the street from us uh, where uh, five uh, Turkish families resided and uh, by virtue of an attack by neo-Nazis, uh, by uh, Molotov cocktails, their home was burnt to the ground and uh, five Turkish girls perished. And so you have a kid that is fleeing Iran, um, seeks refuge in Germany, is exposed to racism, uh, and, and somehow um, we made our way to the United States because our paperwork got processed faster. It's a, it's, it's a long story. Yeah. But it was a lot of turmoil, a lot yeah. of turmoil. Uh, and by the time I set foot in the United States, I was 13 years old, having uh, borne witness to a lot of different things. Uh, and so um, I studied hard because education was the only thing that I could really right. control. It seemed like everything else was outside my control. Yeah. And I'll briefly conclude by saying that somehow I made it to the University of Chicago. Um, I ended up studying economics because I didn't want to have anything to do with immigration, let alone becoming mm -hmm. an immigration lawyer. I wanted to become an investment banker. So um, I graduated, uh, but in hindsight, every step that I was taking to further myself from the painful journey of making it to the United States was, in hindsight anyway, one step closer to one day becoming an immigration attorney. So in a nutshell, that's where I am. So when I say I'm an immigration lawyer with a keen perspective on this topic, yeah. I can honestly say to my client that I understand you, I feel your pain, I've walked in your shoes, and there are better days ahead. And, and so here I am, and I'm so excited to be talking to you because I think, as you pointed out aptly, it's just a very topical issue and uh, there's a lot of misconceptions and hopefully we can have an intelligent conversation and, and, and make some progress along the way. Absolutely. So it's really important whenever you're in any profession to have that on the ground background experience. I mean, some people have passion. Uh, in certain topics and subjects, especially in, in legal. Um, but if they don't have that actual life experience, they're not as well suited as somebody like yourself. Um, you know, to look a family in the eye and actually come from a place of, of knowing 
their struggle and, you know, the turmoil and the, you know, the, the horrors and in a lot of cases that these people are escaping from, uh, you know, I mean, when, when you have that knowledge that goes so much further, um, with the, the client relationship, I would imagine, um, you know, with just the ability to convey that in court, um, I, I can't even, um, you know, I can't even put myself in, in that mindset because I just don't have that, that uh, set of experiences. And I think that's why a lot of people look at the subject and they just kind of, um, you know, kind of dismiss people's struggles as, oh, well, you know, that, that happened over there, you know, Hey, we got to protect our own people, you know, this and that. And everybody has good points, you know, coming from their perspective, but, um, you know, the ability to hear these stories, uh, like the story that you just, you know, said, I mean, and we could do a whole show on each of those little uh, five year periods in between uh, from, you know, um, you know, being born to 13 years old. Um, but I, I wanted to go back a little bit to uh, when you when you did get to the to the United States for the first time at 13 years old, because your entire life, I would imagine you were growing up hearing stories about before the revolution and hearing stories about how, how freedom may have been. Uh, is that the case? You, you heard stories, but you never actually experienced it? Uh, to some extent, yeah. So uh, I would say that um, no one in their right mind wakes up one day and says, you know what, let me leave everything that I have worked for, leave everything that I have known, and leave everyone that I've ever known behind yeah. And let's just try something new and fingers crossed, it works out. Yeah. No one in their right mind does that. So it has to be something um, extraordinary uh, to compel you to do that. Whether it's your thirst for freedom, your thirst for economic um, benefits, um, and the list goes on and on, and we don't have to list all of those, but, but everyone has a motivation. And for us, you know, we had an extremely good life in Iran prior to uh, the revolution. As I said, my, my father was a civil engineer. Yeah. Uh, he worked with Brits and uh, U.S. counterparts. He had hundreds of people working under him. Many of the roads um, uh, in uh, some of the remote areas in Iran were designed and, pay, you know, paved, if you will, right. by my father. And so uh, you don't just leave that behind and say, all right, take it easy. Let's just try something new, as I said earlier. Of course. Um, and, and it was the uh, circumstances of the war, the circumstances of how we became to be treated um, uh, as second-class citizens, as Christians in Iran, that really, um, uh, as... Um, uh, not, I was going to quote Martin Luther King, but basically to the to the point uh, the point I'm trying to make is that there comes a point where the cup of endurance runs over. Right. And, and as he pointed out, men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. And so our cup uh, ran over uh, 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 in the 80s, and and we did not want to be treated as second class citizens any longer. We did not to want to abide by rules and regulations to which we had no um, yeah. connection. And uh, and so 
when we came to the United States, uh, the U.S. represented to us, to my family, to my father, uh, the possibility of everything grand in life, uh, freedom, economic prosperity. Um, and uh, at the time, my brother was finishing his medical degree at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. My sister had just finished um, um, her residence in Japan. She uh, made her way to the United States and Philadelphia. My brother intended to do his residency here in the States. And so when our paperwork was processed, finally, we decided to be a family unit again. Yeah. And, and uh, the U.S. was the fresh breath of air that we so very much um, uh, sought. Uh, we were so incredibly thirsty. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as we'll talk, you know, things were not peachy when we got here either. So, I mean... Right. Struggles continue. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's no the grass is always greener. And, you know, it sounds like the U.S. was a lot greener than uh, where you where you, you know, originally were coming from uh, in many ways. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as far as uh, um, today, you know, if you look at today, um, do you see any parallels from from then and now going on? To be honest with you. Uh, the parallels, the only parallels that I see is the struggle uh, that I uh, and my family and I uh, endured and some of the struggles that uh, new immigrants um, are facing. Those are the parallels. But um, the, the bottom line is that the U.S. has always been uh, and should always remain a welcoming country. Um, that is one of the most beautiful aspects of this country. I am a proud American. Yeah. And I always say, and this is a exercise and thought, I always uh, ask my um, American-born friends, I say, you know, not to take any way, anything away from you, but which is more beautiful slash worthy of praise? Someone who by virtue of mom and dad having a baby is born here or someone who risks everything, yeah. including their life, in order to set foot on American soil. Now, again, that is nothing to take away from my American-born friends, not at all. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. God bless them. But I would posit that it is at least just as beautiful when somebody risks everything that they have ever known, including their life. Absolutely. Yeah. When they call themselves an American. Yeah. And I mean, that, that, and it, it goes for most things in life. Um, when you have everything kind of given to you, you know, just as a, a right of birth, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it just, you don't appreciate it as much. And, uh, We've had it so good in this country for so many years as natural born Americans that, you know, we we complain about a lot of things and we complain, you know, and, and sure, there's things to complain about. But um, like you said, you know, I mean, for somebody that is has that perspective of not living in a free society or as free as it can be here, um, you know, 
and just like you said, risking everything. Yeah, I mean that is you. You are going to work twice as hard. You know, you're gonna you're gonna um, you know appreciate everything twice as much. And uh, you know, I I think that that truly is the American dream that we we built this country on. Um, so I, I do agree with you a hundred percent on that. And um, I think that that's one of the one of the 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 main reasons, and I brought it up in the beginning, you know, that, that our perspectives uh, play such a big role on the decisions that we make and the opinions that we hold, um, you know, with everything. Uh, immigration being one of those main ones, you know, where, where we, you know, uh, are, are either on one side or the other, and we don't necessarily put ourselves in other people's shoes. Um, and and I, I don't think that there's a, enough of a desire to try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, you know. And um, that's one of the main reasons why I enjoy doing this show and, uh, you know, that I'm thankful for having you on the show is so you can tell those stories. Um, You know, when 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 people sit down and they really think about all the things that they have opportunity wise at their disposal in this country, that you can go out and not, for the most part, um, you know, have to worry about, you know, getting getting blown up or, you know, having a mob come and, you know, uh, uh, burn your house down. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, it's, uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a beautiful thing. And, and the reason that I asked if you saw parallels is because now with, with, with things going on, you know, unrest, uh, you know, there, there, there's a lot of people that are frightened that that could become a reality that we could, you know, kind of lose our freedoms to the mob. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel like that's something that needs to be talked about. Um, and, I think that this is a good parallel when you talk about, you know, actually living in a place where there is, you know, complete lack of human rights and just, you know, just, uh, you know, a society that's totally intolerant to anybody that is not uh, on your, you know, moral uh, uh, side. You know, it's it's uh, it's something that really needs to be taken a hard look at by people that don't have that uh, experience. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, it's it's very important for you to be able to tell your story to as many people as you can. Um, so and to your point, uh, you know, you're, you're making an incredibly important point. And I, just to add to that, um, in order to make sure that other people can see the world as I have seen it or for me to see it as they have seen it, What's important is that we agree on a set of facts. Um, let's call them stipulated facts, as in the sky is blue. And then go on to um, argue uh, policy. Yeah. Uh, how do we move forward? But I think one of the things that is happening now, which in the 25, 30 years that I've lived in the United States I've not seen is that it doesn't appear that we can even agree on what appear to be basic facts. Right. Uh, because the presumption is that the facts that I am presenting are false or in a way skewed in order to advance my own agenda. And so that is kind of scary. Yeah. I uh, and agree. I have conservative friends, I have uh, liberal friends. Personally, I'm fiscally conservative, socially liberal. No one really is completely blue or completely red. Right. We're all different shades of purple, I, I suppose. Yeah. And so um, 
for us to get to a point where we are talking about the best interest of the United States, I think it's important to agree on a set of facts and say, hey, I look at them this way, you look at them this way, let's agree on some aspects of those facts and compromise. Yeah. And that, 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 that I mean, back in the day, I mean, th this is off a bit of a tangent, but back in the day in the 80s, presidential candidates would debate each other. And the idea was who can up the other in terms of sounding more compassionate towards immigrants. I mean, you can YouTube some of these debates from the 80s and early 90s. Um, one in particular was uh, George Bush Sr. I forget who his counterpart was. It was one of the primaries. And they were like, they were literally one upping each other in terms of how compassionate they would be. Mm -hmm. And so now I feel like we're a race to the bottom. And that's not who we are. It's, it's, this has never been America or the America that my father risked his life to bring us to. Yeah. 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 It's, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's that, that, that one side or the other, there can't be any compromise. Either I win or I lose the argument is, is how people think a lot of times. And on top of it, you, you know, uh, a lot of people will put their, their moral, uh, their moral um, righteousness into the opinion, you know, and if you disagree with it, you're morally corrupt or in some way, um, or you're a bad person, so you should be dismissed. And anybody with these beliefs is wrong, and I need to fight against that, you know, problem, you know. And I think that that is a very dangerous place, uh, you know, in any society where you view somebody that, uh, you know, differs in opinion as the enemy, you get what you what you saw in, in Iran. And uh, and if we if we don't uh, think about these things, uh, you know, obviously, we have to have compassion with our, you know, for our neighbors, you know, we, we all come from different walks of life, you know, whether you come from the other side of the world, or you come from on the other side of the, the you know, the city. Um, it's it's all differences of uh, opinion based on your perspective based on your experience. And, exactly. uh, and, and, and that is something that I, I always bring up to people because sure, I did, I disagree with a lot of things that people say, you know, here and there on, on many different topics, but at the end of the day, most of the time, we all pretty much want the same thing. You know, we want safety, we want, you know, uh, prosperity, we want, you know, health and happiness and, you know, and love and, you know, for our families to do, do well, you know, and, and freedom for the most part in this country. We want the freedoms to do the things that we want to do to, to achieve our dreams and goals. And that's what this country um, was kind of based on in the beginning, that freedom. So, Absolutely. you know, and, and, and I would go one step further and say that, well, to add to what you're saying again, sure. having lived in the Middle East, um, having lived in Europe, uh, in the 80s, actually late 70s, 80s, Iran, early 90s, Germany, uh, having traveled the world since then, and obviously being an American, I can affirmatively tell you that no question, hands down, the United States is the greatest country on earth. And so I am not saying this to be cute. I'm not saying this for purposes of pandering to your audience or whatnot. Sure. Uh, it is a fact. Case in point, the fact that I can go on Facebook and criticize 
a sitting president because I disagree with his policies or what he did yesterday or said yesterday or whatever, the, that, that idea is not lost on me. I appreciate it. In most other countries, perhaps not Europe, but in most other countries, you can be detained, you can be beaten, you can be tortured yeah. for exercising your human right to ex express your opinion. But what are the one of the most amazing things about the United States, and I've always said this and I'll, I'll say it until the day I die, is that it is a work in progress. Yeah. That is what makes America so incredibly beautiful. It's this infant child that just it's beckoning for guidance, beckoning um, residents, citizens to make it a better version of itself. Yeah. And so where that's where you and I come in. Um, as long as we keep uh, the United States and its well-being and its best, uh, best interest in mind as we dialogue and as we discuss uh, what we need to do about this, that, or the other, then better days lie ahead. But the moment when we choose this group or that group or that person as the reason why we are not where we want to be in life and blame that group or person and then advocate policies against that group or person, that is when we begin to walk on very, very thin ice. Yeah. And that is when we lose the spirit of what it means to be an American, what, what America stands for. I agree. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, it, it, uh, it really is important to keep that, uh, keep that, that perspective. Um, you know, the, the, the well-being of, you know, we have to protect, we have to protect the freedom of differing opinions to be heard, you know, uh, we have to be able to protect that, you know, at all costs. And, um, you know, and that's going to be for the benefit of, of us. And, you know, we lead the world in many ways, you know, as far as aid goes and support and keeping the peace for, you know, some, you know, some, some people can disagree with that. But, you know, if we, if we crumble, a lot of people will crumble as well that are dependent. Um, and uh, we don't want that. So, you know, it, we'll, we'll, we'll go a little bit, uh, a little bit more to where we are now today or, um, you know, where you are, your profession, you know, as far as getting into immigration. Now you said you wanted to, uh, do you wanted to be a stockbroker before? Is that what you said? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to be an investment banker. I, I, uh, went to the university of Chicago wanting to, um, uh, well, actually side note, I, I went there, wanting to study philosophy and political science. But um, once I got there, I, I realized what an amazing program they had in econ. And so I took a couple of classes and fell in love with economics. And once I graduated, it, was, it wasn't even uh, up for discussion. I mean, you graduate, you become an investment banker, you make a lot of money, and uh, you die afterwards. I mean, that's how it works. <laughs> but... Um, but but that's not how it worked out. Um, I did end up interviewing with a bunch of uh, big firms and going to New York and this and that. But ultimately, um, fate took me uh, to a completely different uh, destination. And, um, uh, and, and so I uh, ended up applying to law school and uh, attended the John Marshall Law School. I'm grateful uh, to them for that opportunity. They um, uh, chiseled some of my inherent skills and made me a better version of myself. 
and I appreciate that. And so when I graduated from law school, I still kept fighting hmm. the stream. It's almost like, in hindsight, it, it feels like I was a salmon swimming <laughs> upstream. I just refused to go along with the current that the stars or the universe um, had planned for me. And so I kept resisting. I wanted, to, you know, I was like, okay, if, I, if I'm not going to be an investment banker, I'm going to be a corporate attorney. I'm, if I can be a corporate attorney, I'm going to be a business law attorney. Literally everything but immigration. Yeah. And so um, through a million, due to a million and one reasons, I ended up opening my own law firm. Um, I had a few corporate clients and, and, and whatnot, but still, I came alive when I was representing immigration, uh, or rather immigrants in immigration cases. And so over time, I would say, uh, I opened my firm in 2011, and so over time, I would say since about six, seven years, I have found that whether I like it or not, immigration law is my calling. And oftentimes, some of the kids that I mentor ask me, are you happy? And so, and that is, that's an important question. Yeah. And, and, and I tell them it's an important question, but it's not um, the right question. The right question in life, whatever your profession might be, is am I doing what I am supposed to yeah. be doing? Yeah. Uh, am I on the right path? Does it feel as though I am a salmon swimming with the current rather than against the current. Uh, because I tell you, I, I shed tears, I have anxiety attacks, I have depressive episodes, I have episodes where I laugh with my clients, I hug them, yeah. um, we pray, uh, not all, you know, I mean, it's just meaning there's so many different facets yeah. to what it takes to be an immigration lawyer. And, and one would say, okay, well, if you're crying, you're not happy. And, and that might be true, but I am exactly where the universe wants me to be. I, and sometimes, yeah. sometimes being a soldier is not easy. Sometimes being a soldier is hard. Uh, and I don't mean the military type, but soldier in whatever profession. Sure. Uh, but you need to do what you need to do because that is what you feel is your calling. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. Um, you know, you, you, uh, you, you make a good point that, that happiness is not necessarily the most important thing. It's uh, fulfillment, you know, and, and uh, realizing your, your best, uh, uh, you know, your best uh, effectiveness in life, you know, you know, doing things that, uh, you know, to the best of your ability and really kind of opening up those floodgates to, to let, let your potential flow through you, I think is, uh, is, is very important, very powerful. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that if I look back at my life, the times that, um, the times that I feel were most important were not the times when I was, when I was laughing, you know, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the things that, that really, uh, I can look to and point at those, those times in my life that I, I learned the most, or I, uh, you know, uh, made a course correction in the right direction. Those were the times where there was struggle, you know, and and uh, and it was a sad time, or you know, it was it was something that was hurtful, or you know, something that made you cry, you know, and things like that. And, and not just 
for yourself, but for the people around you. And, and you know, those things um, are very powerful parts of life. And, and it goes back to what we were saying before, it's perspective and your life experience that, you know, gives you that, you know, it, it makes the scales come off your eyes. You know, you can you, you can see clearly that way. And, um, and I, I really, you know, people don't talk about that enough. I, I don't feel like, you know, people don't. Yeah. And, and I think that a lot of people realize that some, you know, a lot of people do realize that, I think, but they're uncomfortable bringing it up, you know, because it just it isn't uh, the sexy thing to say, you know. Right. Um, and it, the more we do that, uh, Steve, the more we do that, the more we realize how unbelievably connected we are to one another. Yeah. In other words, we may disagree on immigration, but there are 99 million other things that you and I can talk about and agree upon sure. and realize how very much we're on the same page. And I will also say that for some of your uh, younger audience out there that, um, uh, you know, there's a saying, uh, actually I'm quoting uh, the cartoon uh, Kung Fu Panda, which happens to be one of my favorite <laughs> movies. Uh, it says, uh, the, the, the wise turtle in, in that uh, movie says, you often meet your destiny on the road you take to avoid it. Hmm. And so um, as I look back at my life, the very thing that I tried to avoid, like the plague, ended up being the central force or the central figure in my everyday life. Uh, and so that saying is not always true, but I think it's important to have reflective moments in life yeah. and say, what am I good at? What do I feel like I need to do? And what is my calling? And so if you answer those questions, or rather ask yourself those questions every single day, the answers over time become self-evident without you even having to look for them because not to get melodramatic, because the answer really at the end of the day lies within you. And yeah. just like an onion, you're peeling layer by layer by layer. And finally, you come face to face with your calling, whether that's yeah. uh, being a physician or an attorney or an engineer or an artist, whatever the case might be. Yeah, it happens gradually. And that's that's I think the, the meaning of life, the most, you know, and in its essence is the, you know, that journey um, for the most part. Uh, and that, that, that awakening that you have when it, when you realize those things. Um, and, and sometimes they change. Sometimes you, you feel like it's uh, the right time now and you're on the right path, but maybe things kind of, you know, you, some, some people have multiple lives within one, you know, that live multiple, uh, you know, with careers and, you know, uh, relationships and all different things. And, um, you know, that's okay too. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it, it is important though that we all we really are very similar, you know, and and uh, and that just goes to show you that there is something, you know, the universe is real. There there is something. There's a guiding force in some way. I, I truly do believe that. Um, and uh, you know, when we're we're talking about uh, your day to day work, you know, dealing with you know the courts and dealing with um, these difficult cases and uh, situations and stories. Um, you, you, you know, one thing I wanted to say beforehand, when you say that you, you have that connection with your clients and you have that emotional thing, how do you deal with that? The mental health factor has to be very difficult sometimes when you do hear these stories and you have that connection and you feel like you're powerless 
because ultimately it isn't your decision. You know, you have to make your case. So how do you deal yeah. with that? How do you deal with that? Steve, it is the hardest part of what I have to do yeah. every single day. I am part attorney, part psychologist, part psych psychiatrist, part social worker, part friend, part whatever. In other words, um, and by the way, uh, it's not hard for me to feel what they feel because as we discussed before, I've walked yeah. that very path. Um, I have been in those shoes. And so sometimes, again, not to get all melodramatic, but sometimes it is by virtue of a simple gaze. Mm. Sometimes it is by virtue of just staying silent as your client is silent and you are in the moment together, in pain together. Um, sometimes it is a matter of speaking sternly and saying, look me in the eyes and believe me when I tell you, I got you, mm -hmm. you're not alone. We're in this together. I will be with you every step of the way. So every personality requires a different approach within the human, spect um, human spectrum. And so for me, it's second nature. I, you either have it or you don't. You, some, it's not something that I can fake, certainly, and I don't think a lot of people can fake. You either have it or you don't. And, um, and by the way, I, I also need to tell you that when we're talking about immigration, not every single one of my cases is or rather involves a refugee or an asylee or someone right. fleeing, you know, uh, destruction, right. right? Because we're talking about people who have, or rather people who are fleeing back home, but also extremely affluent individuals who are investing in a U.S. company or right. um, an, an immigrant who has uh, engaged or is engaged to or rather is married to a U.S. citizen mm -hmm. or an F-1 student um, or rather F-1 visa student uh, where, where they are now commencing their studies in the United States. And so the spectrum is very, very wide. And it is my job to always calibrate my approach uh, based on what the circumstance or rather the situation is requiring requiring of me. Yeah, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, that's a that's a good segue into the um, the, the the law part and, you know, the actual practice that you have, you know, it isn't just all the terrible things, you know, all the time. It's, you know, some sometimes, like you say, it's, you know, a client, maybe it's a Canadian or somebody that, you know, it's something uh, where it's paperwork, you know, or it's, uh, you know, so can you tell us about that part of your business? Um, can you tell us about kind of like, um, how has the, well, I know when we met, when we, when we talked about this before, the, the virus itself has set the courts back uh, a, a crazy amount of time. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about how your business has been impacted, um, you know, with that uh, situation? Sure. So uh, there are, and I'm simplifying this, but sure. there are essentially two avenues when we 
talk about immigration. One is when you are affirmatively asking the U.S. government to approve an application, to grant you work authorization, to grant you a green card or a legal permanent resident card uh, or naturalization, right? And that's dealt with the, or rather, that's under the Department of Homeland Security. And the agency that you're dealing with is U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Now, when things don't work out or you have, let's say, committed a crime, whether that crime be misdemeanor, felony, or whatever the case might be, or there are some other circumstances that have arisen, and now you find yourself in immigration court, that's when the U.S. government is trying to remove you from yeah. the United States. Um, and so um, that's under the Department of Justice. So we have DOJ on the one side, and we have the DHS on the other side, Department of Homeland Security. And so prior to COVID-19, for the first time in U.S. history, the number of cases pending in immigration court across the United States hit 1 million. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you're an immigrant and you get a notice to appear, which is the first document that you get sending you to immigration court, and you appear before a judge for your status call, in my world called a master calendar hearing, the judge will give you a trial date known as an individual hearing. Guess how many months or years down the road? Just well, take a guess. You, you, you mentioned it to me before, and it's a crazy number. Um, I, if you're the audience, make a guess in your head right now. And now you, you go ahead and tell us. Right. Three to four years. So I go in front of an immigration judge today, and that's pre-COVID, by the way. Yeah. He will give me a trial date sometime in 2024, mid-2024, if not later. And so when COVID hit, all the immigration courts essentially shut down, but for some detained cases, meaning people who are in detention right. in detention facilities. Mm -hmm. So that's DOJ. On the other side, you have USCIS. USCIS under the Department of Homeland Security um, depends, its function depends on the fees that applicants pay. So in other words, the fees that you pay to get a green card go towards paying the employees that are in charge of adjudicating your case. Hmm. So for the first time, uh, to my knowledge, I don't recall it ever happening before, and, and, and one of my colleagues might want to uh, correct me on this, but the USCIS is running out of money, hmm. and unless Congress acts by July, a lot of, or rather 40%, if I remember correctly, I, I saw 40% of the workforce at USCIS will be laid off. So, wow. um, these are trying times. I'm sorry, th these were trying times. And so, add to that COVID 19, a global pandemic where USCIS is not doing any interviews for fingerprints, for regular interviews, for naturalization, uh, or rather, um, oath ceremonies. 
and the cases keep building up, building up, building up. And instead of making things easier and providing a path forward, our elected officials are making it harder, yeah. meaning they are essentially broadening the net within which more people get trapped, therefore being sent to immigration court, exasperating an already very, very, very fragile system. Yeah, I would, I would say that uh, it, it's a broken system, I would say, at this point. Um, I, if fragile is probably, you know, putting it lightly. Um, now, is this by design or is this by negligence? What would you say? You know, to be uh, frank with you, at this point, I don't even think it's a Democrat versus Republican issue because um, the Democrats had the House and the Senate under Obama, and they failed to act. Now, again, I'm socially liberal, fiscally conservative, um, and I tend to, full disclosure, I tend to bleed blue and lean left. That being said, I am not a fan, to say the very least, of the manner in which, the callous manner in which the uh, people on the right have approached immigration. And I'm trying to use my words very carefully because I, this is not about me wanting to offend anybody. This is sure. us trying to have an intelligent conversation, but it is absolutely callous to be playing a Russian roulette with people's lives. Yeah. Um, 44 million immigrants in the United States one out of six, every U.S. worker is an immigrant. $300 billion in federal taxes paid by immigrants. $150 billion paid by immigrants towards state and local taxes. $20 billion in taxes, federal, paid by undocumented immigrants. $11.8 billion paid by them in state and local taxes. The people that make our food at the restaurants, people that invest in our companies, people that pick our cherries, our, you pick, you know, pick your favorite fruit. Yeah. And so I get riled up because it's as if we don't see that the very thing we are arguing against is the DNA that comprises makes up who we are. Yeah. As if I, w I were to tell you, hey, Steve, I hate my red blood cells. <laughs> Man, I, can, I cannot stand my white blood cells. I mean, how idiotic does that sound? Right. How counterintuitive does that sound? Yeah. And so my earnest hope, I, I, I just, I pray to God every single day that we stop using human beings, real people, our neighbors, our coworkers, our bosses, as chips, mm. bargaining chips, because the decisions we make today affect their lives forever. Yeah. Um, and 
and I, and I know I'm, this was a kind of a verbose answer to your point, but no, it's great. Take, take DACA recipients, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. DACA recipients, referring to the program, um, the 2013 program initiated by Obama, that basically said if uh, you were brought to the United States through no fault of your own as a child, and there are some other requirements that you have to meet, then you get work authorization, and uh, at least you, your your removal, or rather the possibility of your removal, will be deferred, meaning will turn a blind eye yeah. to you being here, essentially. Um, I mean, how counterintuitive is it that the case involving DACA recipients, or rather the DACA program, is before the Supreme Court of the United States. Imagine, imagine the left and the right could not come together to come up with a solution to allow children who are, for all intents and purposes, Americans, who have no idea I have never even been to Mexico. I'm yeah. just using Mexico as an example because sure. a majority of them are from there. But for the for for for, for the left to, for the, and for the right not to be able to come together and say, you know what, we cannot turn our backs against these children who are, for all intents and purposes, U.S. Amer uh, U.S. citizens or rather residents, and they have contributed so much. Yeah. Our nurses, our respiratory practitioners. Our accountants, our lawyers. Yeah. I know personally lawyers who are DACA recipients, who literally are DACA recipients representing clients in court, and yet they themselves don't know whether their status in the United States has any stability. Yeah, it's um, this is not this is not a new problem. You know that this this immigration. Uh, debate has been going on for years and years and years. Um, and you said something that rings really true, that people need to stop using human beings as bargaining chips for their agendas, you know. Um, I feel like there's no, there's no side to blame it on, you know, because both sides have been in power had majorities and the ability to make these changes all, you know, many times, you know, uh, Democrats and, and, and Republicans. And, um, it hasn't, it, you know, they, they have proposed things that they know are not going to pass to rile people up and to polarize people even further. And that's victimizing real people even more. It causes hatred. It causes, you know, uh, uh, you know, racism that that normally wouldn't be there just because you hear a story on the news. Um, you know, all of these different things where, like you said, somebody that was brought here when they were a child, you know, like a little baby um, that is not a citizen. Um, I mean, that that person, unless they told you, you would never know that they weren't born here, you know, that they're not a citizen. And, you know, those people, for the most part, when they know that they're, they could be removed from the country, those people aren't going around causing trouble. And, you know, they're working, they're going to school, you know, for the most part. And, you know, I think that uh, 
I don't think that any one person has the answer how to how to how to uh, uh, you know untangle this mess that we're in. But I think that uh, we need to get real and and, and actually um, get on get you know we need to get on the backs of the politicians and we need to make sure that they are aware of these things uh, and that they're actually doing things that are meaningful. And that, that means that they have to actually uh, work together. You know, they, you can't bring this up as an issue, as a lightning rod issue every election and then forget about it again. And that's what happens. And that's not fair to anybody. It's not fair to the voters. It's not fair to the politicians that have good intentions. Uh, and it's not fair to the people, most importantly, that are, are being, you know, debated about. Um, so I think that that goes for a lot of topics in this country. I think that, um, you know, not just immigration, but I think that our government has gotten to a place because we are so polarized and people are so used to gaming the system and using our election cycles as, uh, you know, uh, just a way to either hold things up, slow things down until they can get their, you know, people in again. And then here we go again and again and again. And nothing's going to change unless the voters actually understand these things and understand what they're actually voting for during these elections, that, that their vote does count and it does matter all the way from the top to your local, uh, you know, city uh, council person. You know, all of these positions are there for a reason and they have a real impact on your life. You know, people want to just think, OK, you know, well, Trump or Biden or whoever is going to be on the ticket. That's the most important thing. But no, that actually has a very small impact on your daily life. Um, you know, it's it's your congressman, it's your it's your representative, it's your alderman, it's your city councilman. Those are the people that actually are going to make that policy that's going to uh, work for you. And if you if you vote and you get involved in the process, um, then then we actually have an ability to make these changes. And that's what we have forgotten about. People are disenchanted. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm. I agree, and I would just tweak uh, your point slightly as, sure. as far as I'm concerned and say that the person the, the, the person at the helm, the, um, the person who is leading the charge, sets the tone. Yeah, And sure. so when the tone is fraught with animosity, fraught with antagonizing words, imagery, what have you, constantly. Absolutely. Then the people who follow you will begin to think that it's okay for their personal biases to emerge and just live, you know, just literally just, oh, I, I didn't know that was okay, but now I, I think it's okay because yeah. I'm looking at the helm and apparently it's okay. Right. And, and so uh, that's something important to keep in mind. And, and uh, there is no love lost between me personally and the current administration. Um, that being said, I appreciate the fact that I am able to voice my opposition to and grievances with the current administration. It's something that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do if they are living in other countries. Yeah. Um, one other thing I would add to what you said is that uh, a lot of people don't seem to know 
that I will be the first one to tell you that we need to shore up our borders. There's a misconception out there that immigration lawyers, pro-immigrant uh, groups are somehow for no borders, just willy-nilly, just come on in. Right. Whoever you are, just come on in. No green card, no visa, nothing. Just come on in. That's that. That cannot be further from the truth. The 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 borders have to be uh, made less porous. Yeah. They are too porous, and I'm not just referring to the Canadian border or the Mexican border. I'm talking about our ports of entry. We have to protect the integrity of the United States of America. So having said that, <clears throat> we also have to do a much better job of dealing with the undocumented persons who live amongst us. It is not a novel idea. It is a humane idea. It is an American idea to come up with a, with a solution and saying, hey, um, if you entered the country this state to this state, or if your status is this and that, or you remain in the United States beyond your visa, or whatever the case might be, yeah, you pay a fine in addition to the regular fees that you were supposed to pay in order to get a work authorization, green card, and path to citizenship. What I'm telling you, Steve, is nothing new. We right. did this in 2001 known as the LIFE Act, where under Section 245I of the Act, uh, it allows certain persons who had a certain form, I'm not going to get into the technicalities, sure, sure. but certain form filed on their behalf prior to a certain date, they would be allowed to later on adjust their status through other means by paying an additional fee of $1,000, and so for the life of me, I don't understand why something that worked so well in 2001 cannot be replicated 19 years hence. Uh, are we regressing? Are we forgetting the lessons we've learned? Yeah, and so that's, that's, that's an important point to keep in mind. There are solutions. We just need to have the will to compromise and to remember who we are as a nation and realize that it is this togetherness that makes us the greatest nation on earth. Yeah. And guess what? If you and I fight, Steve, if you and I fight, who wins? Another person. <laughs> right. Exactly. So if there's a divide between us, guess who wins? Yeah. China. Right. Russia. Saudi Arabia. Iran. You name it. Yeah. They're rooting so, for that. They're rooting gotta, for that. Stop. Yeah, it, it's uh, it does have to stop. And, and unfortunately, people are not aware of how important it is to pay attention to the policies that are being made and to, you know, be aware of uh, our history. You know, I mean, history repeats itself. I mean, it's it's not uh, uh, unprecedented. You know, this these things have happened many times um, and. Uh, there are solutions and I guess it, it always falls back to, it depends. A solution is all based on what you want to happen as well. So 
that's another part of it. But having those debates in public is an important thing. And I think a lot of this stuff happens in the shadows. You hear about it once on the news and then you never hear about it again. Then it moves on. The cycle is constantly moving on. You could have something as crazy as ever that that would be on the new it would be earth shattering type of news come out. And then a couple of days later, we're on to something else and we forgot about it. So that's the problem with these election cycles is that, you know, people are not involved. People are only focused on the shiny object in front of them right now. And uh, unfortunately for people that are legal, uh, you know, voter uh, eligible people, uh, they are not uh, concerned for the most part about other people's uh, rights most of the time, a lot of times. And if they say they are, that's great. There are people that are, that are very passionate about it, like yourself, um, but there aren't enough. Uh, of pe There aren't enough people that are actually, um, I, I feel, really paying attention to the, the actual consequences of our, of our voting uh, and, you know, of the, the, the people that we vote in and the things that they do once they get there. Uh, I think we need to hold our, our, our uh, politicians accountable to what they run on because too many of them run on these things. They say that they're going to do this and that. They get in power and they don't do any of it. And that happens over and over and over. Um, you know, we've been talking about immigration reform for, for every cycle that I can remember and before that. Uh, and, and yet we have not been able to get these solutions, which you just laid out. Uh, you know, I know that you don't have all of the solutions, but I know that uh, you're on the field. You're, you're, you're in the field and you're actually um, seeing it firsthand. I think that there's plenty of smart people that are close enough to this topic that if you put them together and you actually had a debate and you figured out what the consequences will be for these people financially and, you know, uh, just uh, in general, I think that we could do this pretty quickly. I don't think it's that crazy. We put a person on the moon, you know, I mean, come on, you know, we can't. They're there to legislate, you know. Legislate. Absolutely. Legislate. Absolutely. And, you know, you, history does repeat itself. Absolutely. And, and there's been a lot of anti-immigrant sentiment um, as far as far back as the inception of the Republic. Um, 100 years ago, uh, we had the Irish, we had the Italians, yeah. we had the Japanese. I mean, it, it, every generation seems to have had a group of people that it designated as the other. Yeah. And so 25, 30, 40 years hence, in retrospect, you're like, wait a second, that is ridiculous. You mean to tell me they were discriminating against the Irish, the Italians, the Japanese? Literally, are you serious? But the answer is absolutely. Yeah. And so I think in a few years, maybe when I'm, 60, 70, 80 years old, uh, we will look back, or I will look back and say, remember the time when, and we shouldn't have to wait for a generation to come to pass yeah. for us to realize that, hey, we could have done things better because we should have, we, because we learned our lessons from prior experiences. Um, and, and so that is, I think, the most disheartening part of all of this, that there is so much opportunity to be better versions of ourselves, and yet we refuse yeah. to take that 
step in good faith and say, I'm going to compromise and move this nation forward because America deserves it, because America is the greatest country on earth, because it deserves, basically what I'm saying is, Steve, you and I have a fiduciary duty to make America the best version of itself. Yeah. And so this notion of, again, I don't want to get too political, but this notion of make America great again, okay, uh, we can get into that, but how can you make it great again when the idea is to always strive to be better? Yeah, right. In other words, you weren't great back then, but you're better today, and let's work to make it even better. Right. And, and so that has lo been lost in the discourse. Mm -hmm. um, and as you pointed out very, very eloquently, you said people are advancing their agendas by using vulnerable groups as bargaining chips. Yeah. And that is not who we are. That is not what America is about. We are better than that. Yeah. We've proven it time and time again, and we can do it again. I think we can. I, I think... Uh... I think we have to. I don't think we have a choice. If we don't, there won't be an America. If we if we keep our division and we keep our our spite and we 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 point the fingers and, and call our neighbors our enemies, then we're going to fail, and we're just going to be another example of what not to do in history. And I think that um, we have so much going for us and so much potential. Still, we're still a young country, you know. In the, in the grand scheme of things. And it's a it's an experiment and it's always changing. And thankfully, we still have the right to vote and we still have free speech. Um, and, you know, we can get into censorship and, you know, all the different uh, things going on with social media, maybe another time. But we have to pay attention to all of these things because they're all important. And uh, uh, I agree with you 100%. You know, it's not, again, making it great again. It's always getting better. Make it better. Be better. You know, um, I can't believe, you know, we've we've done more than an hour. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a it's a great conversation. We're both really passionate about this stuff. And, you know, hopefully for people that are listening, this makes you think about something. Um, it's very important to listen to the other perspective. Uh, don't just listen to opinions that you agree with constantly. Um, there's plenty of people that don't agree with you know, uh, immigration, this or that, you know, or whatever, you know, you can fall on any side, but it's the ability to listen to, uh, uh, you know, an argument of the other opposing side, taking that information to rethink your position and then do that again and do that again and do that again. And if we can all do that repeatedly, then we'll all come out in a better place. So, you know, I, I really do appreciate you coming on, Alan. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure talking with you. Um, hopefully, we can get these things sorted out. Uh, you know, I, I, I think we could definitely do another show about many other topics. So we'll have to set something up. But is there anything that uh, you would like to leave the audience to think about, or is there anything that you'd like uh, to to say um, about how maybe people can help the cause or you know get involved in some way? Uh, first and foremost, Steve, uh, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I honestly can't believe that the hour is passed, uh, but it, it literally feels like we've been talking for about 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, it just speaks to the fact that both you and I are coming 
at this topic from a good place, meaning our hearts. Yeah. Uh, we don't have hidden agendas. We just want to respect the fiduciary duty that we have to America in order to have done our part in advancing the discourse. And so thank you so much for the platform. Thank you so much for what you do. Uh, you talk about different topics, and that's wonderful. And I really hope that uh, your listeners have had an opportunity to, for a brief moment in time anyway, to see things from a different perspective. And um, I don't really have anything profound to leave your listeners and viewers with other than to say that just remember facts matter. Yeah. America is the greatest country on earth. We owe a fiduciary duty to it and better days lie ahead as long as we stay true to the commitment uh, that we have uh, expressed to making it a better version of itself. And so uh, these are pretty basic concepts. I feel silly even repeating them, mm -hmm. but it seems like it, when, when there is chaos, you go back to fundamentals. Yeah. And so as long as we start with the fundamentals, then we can rebuild that which we have broken along the way and build and make America what it deserves to be, which is, again, a better version of itself. Uh, perfect. Perfect way to, to end it. Um, like I said, if, if anybody's interested uh, in speaking with Alan about any uh, topics related to immigration, if you need any advice or you'd like uh, representation, um, I will put the link in the description below. And uh, again, that's Alan Toksh, immigration attorney out of Evanston, Illinois. Um, really, really a pleasure to have you on and uh, we'll be talking again soon. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate you.